0: Thank you, Silas. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Great to see you all here when uh, New Year's Eve can be a late one. Give us a woo if you made it past 12 last night. Woo! Yeah, definitely lost some of his luster. Uh, give, give us a woo if you were really dedicated to church, so you went to bed before midnight. Yeah! Still some parents of the house, great, good times. Um, now, it is New Year's Day today, a time for fresh starts, new beginnings. We've kind of already started reflecting on that. So I'm wondering, has anyone amongst us already started making New Year's resolution new goals? Anyone? No one? Yeah, a few. Yeah. <laughs> getting, getting two hands from Yana, awesome. Um, now, I imagine some of us, the new year naturally brings up a whole lot of planning and some dreaming. What are you going to pursue in the new year? Maybe what do you want to achieve? What goals are you going to set? But for others, the new year period can just be a time just to have some rest and take a deep breath. Just reflect and prepare yourself for maybe what the familiar patterns of the things ahead are going to be. But wherever you might be this morning in your mindset, because it is New Year's Day, I thought it might be helpful to reflect on this question coming up on the screen. What goals, what resolutions could we have for our Christian life this year? After all, it's, it's fairly normal for us to have goals um, in all sorts of different areas of life. In our workplace, our bosses, they'll set targets to guide our work each and every day. Uh, personally, you might have some financial goals. Maybe you're thinking of saving for a house or a holiday this year. Or maybe you might even have a personal goal like a a fitness or or health goal, something that maybe you were doing last year or maybe you're starting afresh this year. Goal setting should be pretty familiar to most of us. And the reason I think we set goals is because it's pretty tested and proven that setting goals is a really helpful strategy for success in the business world, in the academic world, and in the athletic world. So should we also commit ourselves to specific things, behaviours that we can set benchmarks for in the new year so we can grow as better disciples of Jesus. Uh, Coming up on screen is someone called Florence Chadwick. Uh, You might have heard of her before. She's a famous uh, ocean swimmer. Uh, She's a famous long-distance ocean swimmer because she was the first woman ever to swim the English Channel all the way there and back again. But in July 1952, she sets her sights on this one, This is a a US uh, swimming channel crossing from Catalina Island off the coast of California um, back to the mainland. But here's the thing. On the day Florence, who's an absolute swimming gun, on the day she attempted this swim, the conditions were completely atrocious. She was battling a thick fog, cooler than expected temperatures, and even sharks that were circling around that actually... 1952, they drove away with rifles, sharks in the water that, was, that, were, that were swimming beside her. Florence toiled for 15 hours through thick fog before finally giving up and she was taking out, taken out of the water. Despite encouragements from her trainer to say, you're almost there, Florence, out of the thick fog, he called out to her. She threw in the towel only one mile away from the coastline. Unable to see through the thick fog, she couldn't see the mainland. Afterwards, uh, she was quoted saying this, I'm not excusing myself, but if only I could have seen the land, I might have made it. You see, it wasn't the cold, the fear or the exhaustion that caused Florence to fail. It was the fact Florence couldn't see her goal clearly. But two months later on a day where conditions were clear and she could see the California coast on the horizon, she set a new record for that swim. An incredible woman and an incredible achievement. So today I want to ask us the question, what goals are we going to set for ourselves for our Christian life this year? Because having a clear goal ahead of us can be critical for us moving forward, for making progress. And the danger of not having a clear goal is like Florence, we can fall short of what we might be able to achieve. Whether we're distracted by the commitments that come up or just the fog of everyday life, we could give ourselves to good things in 2023, but not the best things. So here's where I want to take us this morning. First, I want us to refocus on the ultimate goal of the Christian life. Then I want us to explore what activities, what disciplines can help us get there? What things can we pursue that will help us to reach that goal? And finally, I want us to think through what might we need to avoid, what might prevent us from growing this year. So today's a bit of a pre-season rev up for Christians, but if you're new or visiting us this morning, a special welcome to you. Um, Particularly if you're just exploring the things of Jesus in the new year, stoked that you're with us. I think this will be a really helpful talk just for you to get an idea of what the Christian life, what Christians are on about and are pursuing a little bit differently to the world. But returning to our central question now, what goals are we going to set for our Christian life this year? Well, in order to do this well, first we need to refocus and get clear on what the ultimate goal of the Christian life is. Now, did you notice that the goal language came up in the Bible passage that Silas read for us? Paul's talking to the Philippian church, and he's talking particularly about what he wants most out of life, what he's striving towards. It's up on screen here, verse 10. "'I want to know Christ.' Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Can you see here in verse 10 what Paul wants most in life is to know Christ, to know him deeply and intimately. And what that pursuit looks like, it's not simply chasing after some intellectual knowledge or what Christ has done for you. But it's someone who is so taken by who Christ is, they want to be just like him. Paul wants to know what it's like to suffer like Christ, for someone who serves God and obeys him, even at great personal cost. He wants to be enlivened by the power of Christ's resurrection, the Holy Spirit. And he wants to see himself become as obedient to God as Christ is, even to the point of death. Paul's goal in life is to know Christ in such a way that it transforms his life to be just like Christ's. So should this be our goal too? Well, we can go to a bunch of other passages, even other stuff that Paul's written. Romans eight twenty nine, Paul describes this goal not, not just as his goal, but the very purpose for which we are saved. It says, uh, we were saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. But even later on in this same chapter, Paul confirms this is to be our goal as well when he says in verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. So in Paul's eyes, it's unanimous. Our ultimate goal in life is to know Christ in such a way that it transforms our lives to be just like Christ's. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this a really daunting goal. It's kind of like when you meet the personal trainer for the first time and he sets you that first goal and it's completely over you, like a wildly ambitious goal like, I want to see you do 10 chin-ups. And you're just like, okay, guy, you may as well say, I want you to do a million because I'm not going to get past one. I think this goal is daunting because what Paul has in mind is the picture of the perfect Jesus in all of his kindness, patience, Service and humility, that's his goal. And we hear that goal and we take one look at the the life that we've lived this last week and we feel completely inadequate for the task ahead. So let me give you one encouragement and one practical help to help us think through how can we better focus on this ambitious goal. So firstly, the encouragement. Now, let me be clear. I don't think for one second Paul or Jesus has any expectation that we will fully be able to accomplish this goal. Notice in the next line of this passage, Paul denies the fact that he's already obtained the standard of Christ's likeness he's aiming for. Now, in fact, later on in verse 21, Paul actually takes great comfort in the fact that this job of trying to be perfectly like Christ is one day going to be taken care care of for us. Not by us, but by Jesus. When he returns at the resurrection to transform our lonely bodies in all their weakness and struggle to be like his glorious body. A time where we will perfectly know Jesus and the Father and there will no longer be this painful disconnect between what we want to do and what we do in reality. The encouragement is this. This work that Jesus has given us to do, he has already promised to complete in us when he returns. Now, isn't that incredible? And what's most fascinating about this secure fact and future that Paul has in mind is that it doesn't hinder his motivation for pressing on. He wants to take hold of this glorious, good reality right now, where he can begin to have this closeness with Jesus and being living and living out his good purposes. It says at the back end of verse 12, Paul presses on to take hold of that wonderful purpose of being more like Christ, because that was the very purpose for which God took hold of him. That's the encouragement amongst the challenge this morning. Though we have a mighty task before us to pursue the perfect example of Christ, we can do this with an expectation of another gracious act of God is coming when Jesus returns to complete this work in us. Now some practical advice for how we can get better focused on this goal. So if we're serious about giving time to this goal, I think we need to refocus on where this goal sits amongst our other priorities. Now, I'm not sure if you guys know Al Stewart, He's one of our regulars here at 9, 15, and 11, and he has a, a favourite sermon illustration, one of his go-tos, and I think it's used by guys everywhere. But here's the recent form of the illustration I've heard. So there's a college professor, first day of class, comes before his students, and he sets out a dozen rocks and a clear glass jar on the table. He starts slowly, one by one, putting the rocks into the jar until he's out of rocks and the jar is filled to the top. So then he turns to his students and he asks, is this jar full? Now the students, a little bit perplexed by the question, sheepishly say, yes, the jar is full. And then very smugly, the professor says, really? And then he proceeds to pick up a jar of gravel from underneath the table. He starts pouring that in and filling in the gaps. So he does this. He finishes with the gravel. Now the gaps are filled in, turns to his class again. Is this jar full? Now they're not going to be suffer suffer fools, so they kind of go, well, no, the jar's not full because they've cottoned onto what he's doing. Because then he produces a jar of sand, and he starts filling in in amongst all the gravel and rocks, sand to fill the jar. So now all those gaps are full. Professor asks the students again, is this jar full? Students say no, and of course, he gets some water from underneath the table. With that jug of water, he fills up the jar. Now the jar has rocks, gravel, sand, water filled to the top, and he asks, is this jar full? And they say, "They say I don't know. They're, 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 they're perplexed at this point. They don't know what else he's got up his sleeve. What he has up his sleeve is one final question, and this is the big question. He asks his class, what was the point of this illustration now no one wants to really answer it first but eventually uh, a hand sheepishly goes up and says i think the point of this illustration is you, no matter how full your schedule is you can if you try really hard you can always fit more things in to which the professor replies no the teaching point is this If you don't put the big rocks in first, you will never fit them in at all. Now, is this ambitious goal of the Christian life, is it going to be one of the first rocks we fit into our lives this year? This might be even a good time to reflect on what might be your big rocks, your big priorities, as you think about your life ahead this year. Which one of your rocks is taking up most of your time? And are these priorities things you actually deeply care about or do some of these things need to shrink in size or even come out of the jar in 2023? And most importantly, where does this goal of knowing and living like Christ sit amongst your priorities? Because if we're going to be successful in growing in our Christian life this year, then we may need to refocus or remind ourselves on the ultimate goal of the Christian life, to know Christ. So now we've considered what our sort of big headline goal is for the year, what are some helpful things that are going to help us pursue so we can head towards this goal this year? Well, I've got three practical areas for us to chew on this morning. Um, I want us to look at our personal disciplines, our relational disciplines, and disciplines of serving. Now, what I mean by disciplines is um, consistent things we put time aside for each day, each week, each month that will grow us, grow our knowing and our personhood to be like Christ. Because our character, it's not going to be remade in a day. So we need to to set aside regular time where we're committed to activities and behaviours that are going to condition us to be more like Jesus. A little bit like how the concert musician still sets aside time for practice and development. And like the couple sets aside an evening each week to grow their relationship, we need to set aside deliberate time to pursue our knowing of Christ and our practice of a life lived like His. So, firstly, what personal what personal disciplines can we be um, chasing, pursuing, taking on in 2023? Well, here comes the very, very familiar ones that you've probably heard a hundred times if you've been in church for a while: Bible reading and prayer. But I reckon there's a good reason why this personal discipline of Bible reading and prayer is always at the top of our sermon list. It's because God's word and his gift of prayer are our primary means of relating to Christ. It's where we get to know him. That's why Jesus speaks of our need for God's word being like our need for food each day in Matthew chapter 4. That's why Paul speaks of the sufficiency of scripture, of God's word, having all we need for every good work in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if we consider prayer, it's not only modelled by Christ in the dozens of times it's mentioned in the Gospels as he retreats from his incredible important work of healing, preaching, doing signs and wonders. He shows us in what he's modelling how valuable his time is with his Father praying. Bible reading and prayer are the roads and avenues by which we gain access to knowing and being known by God. So what steps are you taking to travel on them each day? Now, many of you guys will probably know Tom Patterson. He gets along to 9, 15, 11, and he preaches every now and then. Now, if you know anything about Tom, you'll know that he loves the beach, he loves the ocean, loves surfing. In fact, I caught up with Tom yesterday, and I asked Tom, have you been to the beach today? He said, yes, I have been to the beach today. But after I'd asked him that question, I said, hey, Tom, do you mind if I ask you a redundant question for the sake of a good sermon illustration? He said, go for it. He's a kind man. Hey, Tom, how often do you enjoy the ocean from home? He was a little bit confused, but after he thought about it for a while, he said, not very often. Because for Tom to enjoy the things he loves, the ocean, he can't just sit at home. He needs to get in his car and take the highways laid out before him because only then will he be taken to to the thing he loves, the ocean. Now, as I was doing some reading on spiritual disciplines and some New Year stuff as as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a guy called uh, Don Whitney. He's a US theologian and he's written a bunch of books on spiritual disciplines and about our pursuit of personal disciplines. He's got this wonderful quote coming up on screen. He says this, God has built highways by which those he has made alive can come and be satisfied with the ocean of himself. All of these highways converge at Jesus Christ, the one bridge to the ocean of God the Father. These highways are the personal and interpersonal practices revealed in the Bible by which we may find and enjoy God. The highways do not exist for themselves. Our souls do not find satisfaction in the highways, but only in the ocean to which they take us. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes, as I consider my daily Bible reading and praying habits, I can sometimes miss the big thing that's going on as I set aside time for this. We are being connected up to the God of the universe and our disciplines are the means by which we can know and enjoy him. The act of doing these things isn't the be-all and end-all, but if we fail to take these highways or fail to realise what we're doing is not just ticking a box but meeting with God, if we fail to do these things, then we shouldn't be surprised if our experience with God is as weak as Tom trying to enjoy the beach from his living room. So practically, what things can we be doing to grow in this area? What goals might we set for our reading and prayer this year? Well, you might be someone out there who already got a really good Bible reading and prayer routine in place. For you, I don't uh, don't want to tell you to do too much more if you've got a good thing going. But two ways you might be able to go deeper is, first of all, you might consider picking up what's called a Bible commentary. They're really helpful books written by scholars that help you to better understand a passage or a book of the Bible that you're going through. Uh, in fact, I've even got um, a bunch of, uh, a bit of a really helpful article from the Desiring God website. If you're someone who wants to go a little bit deeper, ask a few more questions, commentaries would be a great go this year as you read through the Bible, and there's also a list of really helpful commentaries um, that you might want might to buy and grab to help you do that. The second thing you can do is, if you're loving your routine and you don't want to overcomplicate it, uh, another thing you could set for yourself is a goal of reading a couple of Christian books. Maybe your goal for this year will be to read three Christian books, one about God, one about how to live as a Christian, and maybe one on a special topic that you're interested in. But make a goal to go a little bit deeper in this practice this year. But maybe you're someone that as you ask this question, what do I want to do this year better, you're thinking, geez, I'm not doing Bible reading and prayer as I I ought to. I want to set a big, ambitious goal. Um, One of those things could be, I want to read through X amount of Bible throughout this year. Um, This is something that actually I really enjoy doing. Um, I myself, I love a Bible reading plan, partly because if you're ever perplexed by where do you start, what should I read, what should I do next, the Bible reading plan takes all of the guesswork and all the planning out of it. All I do is open up to the page where my bookmark was last, I see the passages, the chapters that I'm to read that day, and I read through it. And in fact, I've even got um, a bunch of handouts with a a calendar for how you might be able to read through the Bible in, uh, get through the whole Bible in two years or half the Bible in one year. So if you're someone that wants to set an ambitious goal for this year, grab one of those reading plans and maybe start chipping away. But here's a hot tip if you miss a day, don't panic, don't freak out. Just be marking off or bookmarking where you're up to each and every day and just take each day as it comes. But as I explained all those ways where you might be able to go a little bit deeper this year, you're just thinking, oh, man, I can barely manage just one session a week of the kind of things you're talking about. Even that seems difficult amongst all the busyness of life. Well, if that's you, I get it. It can be really hard if you're parents caring for children, or you're a worker who leaves the house early in the morning and you come home late at night, or you're a student who has so many other things competing for your time, it can be very hard to set aside regular time that just doesn't get chewed up by other things. My advice to you is that while it can be hard to program into your diary and always set aside a time for reading and prayer, there are possibly already times built into your schedule that you could be repurposing for this purpose of prayer and reading. If you drive to work or you do the school pick-up each day or maybe your kids are doing an activity or having some screen time at a, a certain point in time, can you pinpoint the time in your week that is already there in your regular rhythms that you can redeem by either listening to God's Word or reading on your phone, reflecting and praying for a short time? You might even consider changing some things, like you might consider taking the bus on the way to the work. Even though it's a little bit slower, you can use that time more effectively by reading. You can read and pray on the bus. Or if you, if you usually drive to the gym, why not walk to the gym and on your phone go through your chapter of Bible reading, reflect and pray on the way to the gym? You could, if you just set a goal of 15 minutes, one chapter of reading and the rest reflection and prayer, If you manage that five times a week, you could be through a quarter of the New Testament in 13 weeks. It's amazing. Even though it might feel like not enough 15 minutes a day, if you can do that regularly, you can get through so much. And your method as you you jump into the Bible could be as simple as this. You can just read a chapter uh, and write down one verse that stuck out to you. You can then reflect and observe uh, anything about God in the passage or Jesus, or maybe about people that's in that verse, then ask the question, how does this apply to my thinking, to my motivations, and to my actions? And then how can I turn these reflections into prayers of, of thanksgiving, help, or growth? Now, this method is something that we've looked at before in church. This is the SOAP method. Uh, read a chapter of Scripture reflect on an observation about God or us, apply, and then pray for those things. This could be something you resolve to chip away at in your already busy calendar or schedule this year so you can grow on God's highways this year. But the second area I want, us, uh, I want us to think about maybe focusing on this year, and these points are going to come much quicker, is what can we be doing in our relational disciplines to be more like Christ? Now, I think one of the most heartfelt and compassionate moments in the Bible is in John's Gospel, particularly when Jesus appears to his friend Thomas. Now, it's a moment where Thomas is doubting the reports of his friends, the other disciples, that Jesus really has uh, risen from the dead and appeared to them. And the reason for this is Thomas wasn't there. He didn't see it, so he doesn't believe. And I reckon this could be a moment in the narrative where Jesus could be quite justifiably frustrated with his friend Thomas. Frustrated because of his lack of faith. After all, Thomas witnessed all Jesus' miracles firsthand. He heard his preaching and teaching. And regarding his planned death and resurrection, he would have heard about that. But it was still so much of a stretch to believe that Jesus really was back from the dead. Jesus has every right to be frustrated with Thomas in this moment for his lack of faith and his doubt. But what does Jesus do? He goes to his friend and he gives gives him what he needs to believe. He appears before his disciples, but this time for the sake of Thomas. He calls Thomas to himself and he says, "'Place your your hands on my hands where the nails were driven through.'" Place your hands on my side where the soldier pierced my skin. Stop doubting and believe, Jesus says. Jesus demonstrates an amazing compassion for his friends throughout the gospel. But in particular, Jesus demonstrates that he deeply cares for the state of his friends' faith. Now I think many of us here at Vine Church, I think we do a great job at uh, catching up with one another outside of the Sunday service. I think we do friendship really well, but one of the things I think we can get better at is looking out for the state of our friends' spiritual well-being as well as their um, physical and mental well-being. So perhaps your goal for this year might not even be to add more catch-ups to your schedule, but maybe to add a discipline to that time. Maybe you spend the first 15 minutes of those catch-ups with friends asking each other questions about your life. Questions like, have you thought about God much this week? Have you been praying? Do you have any lingering doubts about God or fears in your Christian life right now? What questions do you have for God that you really want answered? Now, a trick if you ask some of these questions, and this... It's particularly maybe a a tip for the men in the room. If you ask these questions, you may often get the answer, I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know. If that is the case, I want to encourage you, if you're getting not much as you ask these questions in these conversations, just tell them to take some time to reflect and think a little bit deeper. Because I think if we're going to do this well with our friends, we might need to ask questions and probe a little bit into one another's lives and go a little bit deeper. And sometimes when our friends respond to some of these questions with something like, I really haven't considered this stuff this week, I think that just makes the action plan to be think more deeply on these things this week and think about ways that you can change. This is a great goal to have have to care for your mate's spiritual health, but also... um, If we're going to make this goal, we need to start making deliberate decisions about it. Who are the people around you this year that you're going to make a goal to catch up with? And how often do you want to plan to check in with that friend? Be specific and make a plan. For those amongst us who are married, I want to challenge you to think through when is the time that you have with your spouse regularly to check in with one another? And can you redeem some of that time to ask these same spiritual questions, to check in on one another. Now, the third area we could aim to grow in this year is in our discipline of service to God's people. One of the most famous acts uh, in the Bible is where the literal king of creation, Jesus, kneels down to wash his 12 disciples' feet. Now, just think about that thing for a second. I had to think about it. Imagine how long it would take to wash 12 people's feet they definitely have to cancel pre-dinner charades. It would have been a long and arduous activity, but in washing his disciples' feet, Jesus makes it very clear on how we are to humbly and meaningfully serve just like him. He says in John chapter 13, verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet no matter our status in the professional world, in our friendship circles, or even our status in church, because the Lord of all first came to serve us, we're called to wash one another's feet, the feet of those who belong to Jesus and his church. For some of us, that might look like taking on some new new responsibilities this year, stepping up into a more intensive role at church, or just taking on a new one. But for many of us, We might be already wearied with how much time we've got or a little bit apprehensive about serving. So, maybe for you, stepping into a formal role of serving at church isn't the best step for you this year. But it's helpful to note that one of the great strengths of serving amongst our church family is that it helps us be deliberate and regular about how we're serving, how we're committed to serving and loving one another. Therefore, it's helpful if you're feeling less inclined to jump into formal ministry this year, consider what. Gifting, what regular thing might you doing might you be doing to be intentional and regular this year in serving people? Perhaps if your gift is cooking, you might set aside every second Saturday to prepare a meal for a family or an individual in need that you can give that meal to on a Sunday. Or maybe you're someone who loves people. So you want to set aside the hour and a half after church every week to go out and have a meal with either someone new or someone you haven't caught up with in a while and talk through things. Whatever you might decide to make your goal this year, one of the great benefits of stepping into serving and serving others is not only that it benefits them, it's also a great tool in growing our humility and our love of others as we go about being more like Jesus. So finally, as we begin to consider what might be the goals that we personally set for ourselves for Christian growth this year, I want to offer a few quick thoughts of what we might need to avoid. What might we need to avoid to prevent us? uh, Sorry, what might avoid because it might prevent us from growing this year? Now, the the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear to us that in order to grow and persevere in the faith, we undoubtedly need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run uh, run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So there are two big categories here, if you can see, that can stall or even shipwreck our faith. One is sin, where our unrepentant disobedience of God or lack of love has become a festering sore in our relationship with God. Something that until we address it, the activities we do to pursue God will either be cheapened or painful while there still remains an outstanding problem in our lives and in our relationship with God. But today, I want to particularly focus on that first category that Paul mentions, throw off everything that hinders, because these are the things that I think are most disruptive in our pursuit of goals that we've been talking about today. They are the good things that we have in our lives, the good rocks that we have in our jar that if we aren't careful they can become so big that there's no room left in our jar for our pursuit of godly goals. In my research um, on New Year's resolutions and goal setting this week, one of the most common reasons people said they failed in their New Year's resolutions come February was that people were not realistic about the amount of time and planning needed to carry out their goals in the New Year. I think part of the problem is often we set these goals in a time of year where we're resting, where we're not in amongst the business and complexity of life that comes when we resume the normal pace of things. So before we wrap up, I want you to consider... Before we consider our next step, I want you to consider what other priorities might be, compete for my energy and my time when I set this new goal. Is it a commitment, like work, family or friends, which draws you away from what you're doing spontaneously or saps your motivation to jump into your spiritual disciplines? Maybe it's an activity that's overgrown its sense of importance in your life. It takes up too much time, whether it be a formal, uh, a formal thing like a sporting team, or an informal amount of time you're spending resting or doing leisure activities. Or is the thing that's going to stop you? Is a relationship? Is it family? Is it friends, family, or a partner that would uh, like to set? Uh, sorry, is it is it a relationship like friends or family or pa- partner? that you actually need to have a conversation just to set a boundary for this particular pursuit. In saying all this, hear hear me correctly, I don't want us to be neglectful for our responsibilities or to remove all of our enjoyment of life for this goal. But I do want us to consider what are going to be the major triggers that cause us to drop this priority in the new year. And how can we protect the time and energy we give to the goals we might make this morning? What are the things we need to avoid, so that uh, what are the things so we might be able to grow in our goals this year? So as I wrap up, I want to do something a little bit more unorthodox. After I pray and get down, I want you to sit there quietly and just reflect for a moment and consider what is going to be the one or two spiritual disciplines or goals that you want to set for yourself this year. And I want you to write down, maybe in a book or on your phone. What are your intentional goals that will help you grow in knowing and being more like Christ? Try and be specific. Write down who, what, and when you're going to do it. Try and be specific with your time and how how often you're going to do it. But before you take that time, I just want to acknowledge that there's always a real danger in a topical sermon like this one that we feel motivated only out of a sense of duty or guilt to get moving on some of these personal projects. But that's why I wanted to begin this sermon by showing us what motivates Paul is not simply an indebtedness to the past and what Christ has done for him, but his desire for his future with Christ. He knows about the heavenly transformation that's coming, the transformation that's going to turn him into a person to be more like Jesus, but he wants part of that reality now. That's why he presses on in his present to be, for it to be more like his future. We can know Christ and enjoy him now. So what are we doing in pursuit of that? I'm going to pray now that God would help us in this and shape our desires and shape our energies to give lots of effort to this goal this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take a time in a moment to sit and reflect on what might be our goals that we might pursue for you this year, Would you help us to think through our priorities, to see what things are good and what things uh, we need to do less of to make room for this new goal? Father, I pray that you might help us to know Christ better this year, to know him in his character and to know him in what he makes a priority for his life in serving God and serving others please would you help us to reflect well on uh, many of the good things we can do for your sake and for our sake this year. And I pray that your spirit might be working in us to shape us, mold us, make us more like Christ, and to make us dutiful in this task before us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.